Good morning. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. Welcome to the table here on the fourth Sunday of Easter, as Father Ben mentioned, known as Good Shepherd Sunday. Today I have the pleasure of proclaiming good news to you all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, today we proclaim the good news that in the midst of a world where we're constantly told that the ends justify the means, Christ is revealing that kingdom ends are the same as kingdom means. Christ, our good shepherd, is a lion who rules as a lamb. Christ is leading us out of a kingdom that's run by politics and power moves and into a kingdom defined by love, mutuality, and humility. In our gospel passage in John 10 today, Jesus is surrounded by challengers who are saying, if you are the Christ, then tell us. And Jesus answers, I have been telling you, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Our psalm is Psalm 23, one that many of us are familiar with. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me into the grassy meadows and by still waters. He keeps me alive and shows me the proper paths. Even in the valley of death, I have no fear because the good shepherd is with me. For many, Christ as the good shepherd is a familiar part of Christian parlance. We're familiar with passages like these and many others. We know that he'll leave the 99 for the one, etc. So even though shepherding is no longer a career choice that many of us are familiar with, we do have an idea of what it means to be a shepherd in our minds. However, we bring a lot of our own assumptions about what it looks like for Jesus to be our good shepherd. In part, that's because this isn't a career that many of us are familiar with, but it's not as if when these texts were written, the fact that that culture had a deep understanding and intimate knowledge of what shepherding looked like, that that just magically set them up with the proper expectations. We know and we're constantly reminded that God's people were expecting the Messiah to look very different from Jesus. In other words, King David, a former shepherd, as you know, who wrote Psalm 23, was not envisioning the Messiah to be one who was born to an unmarried mother, the adopted son of a carpenter, born to an occupied, dispossessed, and disenfranchised people. So we're tempted to believe that the good shepherd will somehow wield worldly power for good. It's the same power that's going to be at work, but it's going to be baptized and used for the kingdom. We have assumptions about what it means to be strong, to be a leader, to be a protector. In fact, I think these assumptions about wielding worldly power for good has led to much of the church's issue with leadership over the years. We have been formed into a culture of even reading scripture to tell us that we need to look for a charismatic leader to follow, someone who can wield this worldly power for good. We look for strength, worldly strength. And the strength of our leaders becomes so vital to our churches that we're forced to overlook a great many number of sins so that the church's good work isn't compromised. In a way, we're kind of like Boromir and Lord of the Rings. We look at the ring of power and we say, it's a gift. It's a gift to the foes of Mordor. Why not use this ring? Big mistake. 
Throughout Eastertide, we are focusing on the lectionary passages from Revelation. As a reminder, we've been learning that Revelation is not a coded prediction for the future. John's revelation is a poetic pastoral vision of the end. It was written and canonized to wake us up to the reality of the coming kingdom that's breaking forth in our midst every day. Even as we walk through what may feel like a mundane life, the ins and outs of a normal work week, revelation is written and given to us to waken and sensitize us to the inbreaking of the kingdom around us. Church, we live in a world where we've been told that the ends justify the means, but in Revelation, John's poetic, poetic pastoral vision reveals that kingdom ends are the same as kingdom means. Christ, our good shepherd, is a lion who rules and reigns as a lamb. Christ is leading us out of a kingdom that's run by politics and power moves and into a kingdom that's defined by love, humility, and mutuality. Last week, John preached about the surprise that it was a lamb and not a lion that could break the seal and open the scroll. In today's passage, we continue with that surprise. There's a crowd so great that no one can number it around the throne and worshiping. They come from every nation, every tribe, every people, speaking every language, all standing around the throne before the lamb in white robes with palm branches in their hands proclaiming, victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are these people? Where did they come from? The text says, these people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason that they are before the throne. They worship God day and night. The one who is seated on the throne shelters them. The text goes on to say that they won't hunger or thirst anymore because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. The lamb will shepherd them. It is this lamb who was slaughtered that will lead them to the springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear. Church, the good shepherd is the lamb that was slain. As we look for a powerful leader who can finally wield worldly power for good, Christ interrupts and upends our expectations of what real power looks like. Not just another sheep, but a baby sheep, a lamb. This is a continuation, an invitation to delve deeper into the beauty and the richness of the incarnation. I was trying my good news out on Cameron this week. Uh, Great test audience. And I was just expressing to her how exciting the incarnation is. And she was like, uh... Okay, yeah. And I was like, no, 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 like, you know, like everything you see, all of creation was created by God, right? And then the creator of the cosmos, of the entire universe, became man, became human in Jesus. And he didn't just show up already as a full-grown adult, but as a little baby that couldn't feed himself, wasn't potty trained. I thought this would really, like, tie it together for Cameron, the potty training thing and the food. And she was just like, cool. Even in the incarnation, we see a picture of what God's vision for real power looks like. God took all of the power of the creator of the universe and became a little baby, born to an unwed mother, became the the adopted son of a carpenter, 
became a citizen of an occupied people who had been disenfranchised, who were waiting for a savior to ride in on a white stallion to lead them to victory. Christ our savior in eternity and now doesn't lord over us, but has entered into creation with us. The good shepherd is the lamb that was slain. There are not two contradictory Christologies at work in Revelation, one of the lion and one of the lamb, one of strength and weakness. But in this poetic pastoral letter, our expectations and our assumptions about power are all being called into question. Michael Gorman calls it lamb power that we're being introduced to. This is what true power looks like. Lamb power is God power. So Jesus doesn't rule and reign in spite of his lambness, but precisely in and through that. That is what, like, what is the use of the Trinity if we don't have an imagination for what mutuality looks like? It's not just an answer that we can get right on our test whenever we're standing at the gates of heaven. Yes, three in one, three persons, you know, like, what, what does it mean? It, God's very character is that he is outward flowing, he's self-giving. The very shape of the creator of the universe is love. Lamb power is real power. Christ's reign is not in spite of lamb power, but it is defined by lamb power. Christ identifies with the least of these, not just with another sheep, but with a baby sheep, with not just humanity, but an occupied people. The creator of the universe doesn't hoard power for himself. Instead, God leverages power on behalf of the powerless. We see it all throughout scripture. God gives power away to his disciples. We see an example of this in the Acts passage today as Peter brings someone back to life. Lamb power is outward-flowing, outward-facing, self-sacrificing, and it's defined and motivated by love. When we think about the ends justifying the means, I think maybe the most simple way of thinking about this good news is that no Christian ends cannot be accomplished by unchristian means. We cannot wield the ring of power for good to win. Because when we wield worldly power, it shapes and forms us into a kingdom, not of light, but of darkness. We cannot win peace and love through other means. The creator will not wield shame, will not wield violence, and will not wield fear to create a kingdom that's defined by love. No, Jesus came to destroy all forms of death, shame, fear, And that is how love will reign. Christ, the good shepherd, rules and reigns as a lamb. As a father and as a pastor, I need this good news today. I don't have to control outcomes. It's not up to me to calibrate the right amount of shame with my kids. Uh, Remington broke our television a couple of weeks ago. I've told this story to a number of you. And we found out, Mallory and I sat down to watch TV on a Saturday night. Uh, it was during March Madness still. I was trying to watch the Duke game, Antioch. I sat down, and uh, on my smart TV, there's like a scrolling banner at the top, and there was this massive crack. And I was like, this is a really weird advertisement for this movie. It must have something to do with that. And then I started the game, and there's just 
spiderweb cracks all the way through the screen. And I, to my credit, I stayed very calm, even as I found this out on the spot. I was thinking, already just excited, honestly. I'm, I'm confessing to you guys right now. I was excited that I didn't get triggered by this. It's like, I cannot wait to wake the kids up tomorrow morning. Because we're going to have like the healthy, most redemptive parenting session I've ever had with my kids. So the kids woke up Sunday. We're getting ready for church. I'm like, hey, kids, come here. Come on. Come down. Let's sit down. Turn on the TV. Hey, do you guys know how this happened? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, look, something had to hit. And then they, they both were like, oh, yeah, Remy did have that fishing pole that he's supposed to be practicing with. And he, he did hit the TV once. And I was like, okay, well, listen, guys, this is part of why we are talking about, you know, I'm very cool dad at this time. This is why we said we weren't going to do the fishing pole in the house, guys, you know, but daddy loves you. And they like, before I could even get to the end of my really grace-filled message to them, uh, Remy was like, it's okay. Like, we can still see what's going on on the TV. Cameron's a little bit older, and she could tell that that's not the solution, but she was like, we'll just buy another TV. So instantly, I was like, uh, this is not going the way that I want it to go. Like, I want you to not feel shame from me, <laughs> but some amount of shame that I can bring good news to. So now I'm instantly thrown into a setting in which I need to manufacture some shame that then I can also bring the good news to. I actually think this is like kind of a microcosm of the gospel many of us have inherited. Like the meme when Jesus is knocking on the door and he's like, let me in so I can save you. The person inside's like, save me from what, Jesus? He's like, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in this door. Like, this is basically all coming to bear in the TV situation in my house. So I need this good news. It's not up to me to bring up the exact right amount of shame. If I believe that God is present at work in my kid's life, then the TV is the least of my worries in this situation. Like, it's going to be okay. Remy's four years old. He doesn't know how to read or write yet. Like, I don't need to make sure that he feels the proper amount bad about this TV. But this, this is a funny example, but this is like, we see this every day as a church, as people that care for each other in community. We have all kinds of friction with one another. Like, we see people that they think bad news is good news and vice versa, and like, how can I, how can I message this to them in a way that wakes them up to the good news that's really happening here? But then that's also accepting the lie that it's up to us. It's up to us to somehow be able to wield this power, this coercive, violent, even if it doesn't seem explicitly violent, coercion is violence in a way. It's not up to us to control the outcome of our relationships and the situations. Our call is to be present. And that's what we see in this picture of the incarnation. That's why it's such good news that the shepherd... <laughs> The shepherd is a lamb because a lamb is one of the flock. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't different. Of course, God becoming man is a huge difference. But the way that he rules and reigns is by becoming the least of these, by identifying with the least of these, and then leading us to still waters. Church, where do you need this good news today? Where do you feel the Spirit inviting you? into having your expectations and assumptions about power upended. Instead of as a lion, Christ rules as a lamb. Instead of dominating or demanding, you can be present in your relationships with your friends, with your family, with your children. 
You can be present in frustration. And others can be frustrated with you, or they can be present with you in your own frustration. You don't have to have a prepackaged peace to be in relationship. Church, in the midst of a world where we're told that the ends justify the means, here as we take a peek at the end in Revelation, we see that kingdom ends are the same as kingdom means. Shame and violence and fear will not lead us to love. But love is generating an existence that we can live into here as the table, here as families and individuals as we go out from here today. And as we, as part of creation, can conspire with the Holy Spirit's work here in Indianapolis and in the world as he makes all things new, as he reconciles all of creation to himself. Christ is leading us out of a kingdom that's run by politics and power moves, and he is drawing us into a kingdom that's defined by love, mutuality, and humility. We can respond to this good news by asking the Holy Spirit for an imagination. Sometimes it feels like we can't come up with an idea for how to live into lamb power. It's so foreign to us. We haven't been formed into it. So as we continue moving towards the table of our Lord, let's sit together. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken these senses, would awaken our imagination for how to live into this lamb power. We can respond by coming to the table of our Lord and feasting on his body, on his blood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.